Welcome, everyone, to the REST podcast, where our goal is to help each and every one of you displace confusion, chaos, and dis-ease in order to heal and find significance in life. I am your host, Natalie Williams, and I am here with the author of The Reconstitution Method for Healing and REST, Virginia Dixon. Good afternoon, Dr. Cowden. Thank you for joining me today. Great to be on with you. I so look forward to every single conversation that I've had the privilege of engaging you in. And it's the end of Cancer Awareness Month. And I want to start with a message of hope. I want to encourage everyone to look at cancer perhaps a a little bit differently as somebody who now has been working with cancer patients for almost nine years. I want to encourage our listening audience to perhaps consider that cancer can in fact be an invitation to a place of rest, relational, emotional, spiritual truth, where we reconcile these conflicts that we carry and whether they're ours or that of our ancestors or circumstances, right? Traumas, whatever stresses that we face in our life, they just manifest in these dis-ease states in our bodies. And we have thousands of faithful listeners every month. And I don't want to reiterate things because I have a letter in my possession that is really compelling, actually, as Providence would have it. It came in this morning. And I'll just use her first name. I was so touched by this comment that we got through our website. It comes from Sydney, Australia. This is Melissa. And Melissa, before I read your letter, I just can't tell you how much it blessed me and my entire team here. And the first thing I did before the podcast was read this to Dr. Cowden. And thank you for giving us permission to share it over the air. So if you don't mind, Dr. Cowden, I'd like to read it. Yes, please. I started listening to the REST podcast this year and have found it so amazing and helpful. It changed my life and helped me to see things from a very different perspective. I was led to it through Nightbird all year. I was initially listening to the podcast for myself, hoping it would help me. Then my sister has currently been diagnosed with cancer and has two little children. And all of a sudden, I was listening more in hope to find more information on how to help her. Her husband has survived cancer. And she also, by the way, has had two babies pass away. She's endured so much, and I really want to help her in any way that I can. Something I was just hoping that might be addressed in future episodes, which I find a bit harder to relate to, is what happens to those people who do not know their family history. My sister and I were both adopted and had no knowledge of our bloodline or family history and no memory of it as we were adopted as babies. We also are not related by blood to each other. We were just adopted separately and at different times. There's so much discussion about generations on your podcast and what happens in the home of the home of our parents, parents, parents. I know there are many who don't know that information at all. Is that something that Virginia has spoken about 
at all or will in the future. I would really love to hear about it because I feel there is a lot I won't ever know to help me get to the root of things that need to be addressed in my personal life. However, if it can be through your adopted family line, perhaps there's hope for us. I'm still learning it all, but I just wanted to ask if there is any advice for those who have no way of tracing their blood family line. Thank you so kindly and regards, Melissa. What a beautiful, thoughtful, concise way to explain something that is common, I think, to many of us, right? Mm -hmm. As our families pass, our parents were avoiders and don't talk much. There's many of us that don't know very much about our family and our parents are living. So, but I do want to address what a blessing this email is to us and how when you all take the time to send in commentary, it enriches all of us. And I will be making it a point to address the letters I receive from those of you who send them in and give me permission to do so. So the blessing, thank you, Melissa, we can't thank you enough. We're glad, and Jane is smiling on us right now because this was our dream. We had plans with Jane of doing amazing things to bring awareness and sensitivity for early childhood attachment and the impact it has on our lives. Not just the experiences we had with our parents, but understanding the context of these generational conflicts that are unresolved that continue to get passed on. So with that, I want to thank you from both of us. This email was our dream. And then Dr. Cowden, so I wanted to thank her. And I I know you have a lot to say about that. After your comments on this letter, I'd like to discuss cancer. And what about those that can't access family systems? We have touched on it. I have discussed it, but we're going to really develop that theme in the following podcasts. Right. Comments on this letter from you and then cancer, please. Yeah, well, I I heard her heartfelt concern about the fact that she didn't know the genetics of her biological parents. And, you know, that's a a, a serious concern, I think, of a lot of people that are adopted. But but those people that are adopted need to understand that only 5% of cancers are genetic in origin. So 95% of cancers are non-genetic or epigenetic. Epigenetic means that it's not related to your to your parent the genes that your parents gave you, but to all the other things that affect your genes, like the toxins from the environment, the emotions, the microbes, the other things that that we deal with on an everyday basis. And so the good news for Melissa is that if she can get her sister to look at the toxins that she's probably accumulated over the years and start working on getting those out. And there's lots of very simple, effective ways to do that. And if she can get um, her sister to look at some of the things that may have been a trigger for for the onset of this cancer. Specifically, can we call her attention to one year from the onset of the cancer, right? You look at the date of the first symptoms of of the cancer so sometimes it's several months from the time that the cancer symptoms develop until the diagnosis is made. But you go back to when the first symptoms occurred, and then you go back 
as far as the year prior to that to look for what might have been the emotional trigger, you know, the sudden emotional conflict that may have been the trigger for bringing on the cancer. In the letter, she talks about the fact that her sister has lost two children. Well, very commonly, a, a loss of a child is, is a huge emotional conflict and that, you know, that can trigger a cancer in the parent. And that's what happened with Dr. Hammer in Germany. He and his wife both developed cancer after their only son died suddenly of a gunshot wound. And so, you know, when Dr. Hammer resolved the emotional conflict of the loss of his son uh, in himself and his wife, both of their cancers went away without surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy. And, you know, then, then Heimer went on to, to treat uh, 6,500 6, other patients the same way, and their cancers also went away without surgery, radiation, or chemotherapy. And you and I have both witnessed that process of spontaneous remission. Nothing spontaneous about it, actually, but we've both witnessed the consequence of what you're saying. And I think the most important thing from the, from the email was that as long as a person is still breathing, there's hope because, you know, what we don't know today, we might learn tomorrow and apply that thing that we learn tomorrow and that causes the cancer to go away. You yeah. know, it's, so many people think that cancer is a, is a, a death certificate. There, there's no way around it. You're going to die if you have cancer, but, but that's just not so. It's a lie. I have dozens and dozens of patients in my practice who were told by their oncologist 25 and 30 years ago that they, that they only had, you know, two months or three months or five months to live, and they're still alive, you know, 25 and 30 years later. You know, so the oncologists just think they know how long somebody's going to live. They don't really know. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what, one thing, and you, I know you're going to echo my sentiments. There is absolutely no room for fear. If you are overwhelmed with a sense of fear, just rebuke it because fear is not logical. It is reasonable that you have a spirit working through a soul and a body. And oftentimes the consequence of these disease states that manifest in the body are the consequence, right, of emotions that have roots, deep roots in feelings about many things. Like Dr. Cowden said, the root of an emotion that would cause this kind of trauma to the body is the loss of two babies, 100% compounded by the environmental factors. And Dr. Cowden, just give our listening audience a, a list of a few, being a doctor, that you see repeatedly, what is a list of environmental factors that can compound with this kind of emotional stress and debilitate the immune system and trigger the growth of cancer? As I said, essentially every cancer patient has a backlog of toxins. The toxins might be heavy metals. Uh, mercury is the most common, which comes from the mercury fillings in the mouth or from eating fish or from breaking fluorescent light bulbs but it might be accumulation of pesticides, herbicides, solvents, uh, cleaning solutions, man-made pharmaceuticals, you know, on and on. Every one of those things can add to the toxic load. And then you have on top of that, the electromagnetic pollution of the environment. You know, we don't know at all what, what goes on in her sister and her, and her brother-in-law's home environment as far as electromagnetics. But, you know, I saw a couple uh, 40 years old about 25 years ago 
who who both had cancer that they didn't know they had. You know, I, I found it on their initial well patient evaluation. You know, she had the lymphoma in the retroperitoneum, uh, which showed up energetically, and we confirmed it with a nuclear scan. And he had a, a colon cancer that he didn't know he had, and I, I confirmed that with a CEA blood test and with a, uh, a positive uh, stool for hemocut blood. And he didn't want to have a colonoscopy, but you know. So I said, okay, what what's the cause of this? And these people that are that eat, you know, they're happy with each other, they're happy with their children, they're happy with their jobs. Uh, they they don't have toxic jobs. What's the cause of this? And so the thought came to me that it was electromagnetic. So I sent the building biologist to their house. He measured over their bed, and it was a hundred times electromagnetic pollution that it should have been. And so he unplugged the radio alarm clock on either side of the bed, unplugged the television at the foot of the bed, and it went almost to normal. And, I, and he called me up from their house, and I said, don't let them turn those things back on. Keep them unplugged and have them come back to my office as soon as they can get an appointment. Well, they came back in in two months, and they were both free of cancer, not doing any other therapy. Yeah. Okay. Um, Dr. Cowden, do you remember when you came out to the villa and we had the Heal the Healer conference? Do you remember here in Southern California? There was an intimate, it was for a small group of physicians. Yeah. And do you remember you, you said, Virginia, where do you, you tend to sit? And there was a particular chair in the room that I sat in all the time, just outside of my library. And you asked me to get two metal hangers bend them into an L shape. And you asked me to walk across the room. And I got to a certain point holding the hanger parallel, right? From the small part of the L, letting the long section of the wire hanger hang over, right? In front of me. Do you remember how the tip of those hangers began to cross? And when I got to that spot, there was nothing. But the other chair that was more convenient that I never sat on, do you remember this? Yeah. Right when I passed that segment of the room, the tip of the hangers yeah. rattled yeah. and crossed each other. Can you talk yeah. about that? Because that's a practical, simple thing that our listening audience can do at home to make sure they're not sleeping under EMFs. Well, the, the research for that was from the 1940s in Germany. Dr. Von Pohl, V-O-N, new word, P-O-H-L, did a lot of research. You can find him on the internet. But he, he was in a small town in southern Germany, and he evaluated, I think, about 10,000 homes and, and determined that essentially every person in the city that had cancer or, or that had died from cancer had been sleeping on or sitting on for, for eight hours plus per day, a geopathic field. Now, a geopathic field is a magnetic radiation that comes out of the earth above an underground water stream, above an underground metal ore vein, above, under, above an underground fault in the earth, or above an underground influence called the Hartman grid. So, okay, Dr. Cowden, that was so important. Can you describe what that is slowly? Yeah, so it's, it's a, it's a, place on the surface of the earth where it's there's a geopathic a shield right geopathic field uh-huh yep. excuse me yeah yeah. yeah yeah so 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 most of most of those fields are linear you know so water stream underground is linear it might not be straight but it it you know curves around through the under the uh, under the earth and you can find on the surface of the earth right above that geopathic 
right above that water stream, a geopathic field. And if a person's bed is on top of that geopathic field, it will cause disease eventually. It takes some people only one year to develop disease, uh, sleeping on a geopathic field. It takes other people five years or sometimes longer to develop a cancer or some other serious disease. But every person that spends enough time on a geopathic field will develop a severe illness, usually cancer. And what I've learned over the years is that geopathic is synergistically harmful with electromagnetic. And what I mean by that, if you give a point score of 10 to the harmful effect on the human body from an electromagnetic field, a man-made field, and you give a point score of 10 to the harmful effect on the human body from a geopathic field, if a person is getting exposed to the geopathic field and the electromagnetic field simultaneously, it's not 10 plus 10 equals 20, it's 10 times 10 equals 100. It's about a five-fold multiplier. You know, so if you live in a big city, you can't get rid of all the electromagnetic. It's, it's, the, it's impossible. Uh, you, can, you can lower it, but you can't get rid of it. So it's, it's absolutely essential to get rid of the geopathic fields. And geopathics are present in a large, very, very large percentage of people that have cancer, and they don't know it. Their oncologists don't know it. Nobody looks for it. Nobody finds it. Nobody, you know, they don't change their, 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 their bed position or anything else. And so they end up dying because they spent, continue to spend time on a geopathic field. So let's just, let me just make this very, very simple. When I walked across the room with those hangers that I bent into an L shape, I held them loosely and I took a few steps forward and the tips of the hangers began to merge. They cross. And as they, and, they, they and, they, and, they, and that's right. If you're holding the, the handles of the hangers very close up to your body, your body is part of the antenna to detect the geopathic coming out of the earth. Where the coat hangers cross is where the geopathic is immediately under your toes. Right. So okay. the combination of that field, if you're sitting there, if you're sleeping in a geopathic field, if you're sitting in a geopathic field, which I want to address the sitting part, combined with the electric magnetic fields from our cell phones, from all the wireless connections we have, that can be very toxic to our system. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. And depending on other insults that an anatomy has, for example, you're drinking Cokes every day, you're drinking a bunch of coffee every day, you're not eating healthy, taking vitamin, the whole thing. So that just compounds, right? The insults that can debilitate a person's immune system. And they're things that create a fertile environment for the cancer cells to spread. Is that correct? It can start a mutation of cells. Because when you have a disturbed magnetic field, the mitosis, the cell division, has to happen in a magnetic field. And so one pole of, this, of a cell becomes the north pole of that cell. The other pole of the cell becomes the south pole of the cell. And the uh, chromosomes migrate to those respective poles, the north pole and the south pole. And then each one of those becomes a new cell. If there's, a, if there's a disturbance in the magnetic field, then some of the chromosomes don't go to the right end, they go to the wrong end, and it, it causes a, a huge uh, you know, genetic anomaly in that cell. Intuitively, your body is an information system, everyone, and I just 
feel led to communicate that intuitively Dr. Cowden noticed that I never sat in a specific area of the room at the villa, which by the way, has very, very low EMFs. And when he noticed where I did sit, he was trying to teach me a principle through having me experience what detecting one of these geo fields looks like and acts yeah. like. So this yeah. is an exercise everybody can do at home. However, you did bring to my attention, notice how you never sit in the chair next to it. You always sit in this particular chair right next to the fireplace. Yet the other chairs was more convenient to access. Your body is the field of information. It's always speaking to you. Intuitively, my body picked up on something I did not understand. And it did not make that my first choice. Yeah. So I well, never sat there. Yeah. Yeah. W women very commonly, because they tend to be more intuitive than men, know when there's a geopathic field in the room that they don't want to sit on or lie on. Men, on the other hand, very commonly don't don't know. Don't they don't they don't perceive it. So they really need to have a female in their life that can perceive it and keep them out of trouble. <laughs> so females are kind of like instinctive little it, creatures yeah, that can detect yeah. many things like this. And it's true. An, an intuitive woman, yes. Yes, so intuitive. There's other signs of, of geopathic if uh, people want to know about that. People that uh, have been sleeping on a geopathic field uh, do not feel comfortable sitting with their legs uncrossed. They always have to have their legs crossed. And if they uncross their legs, then they cross their hands. And when they uncross their hands, they have to cross their legs again. So, so something has to be crossed. Something has to be crossed. And so you're trying to balance one side of the body with the other side of the body that's out of balance because of the geopathic field that's just been coming up from the earth eight hours a night, every night. So I just want everybody to catch what we say at nauseum. Your body speaks and rest. We always associated with physiological consequences to many things, but it's way more complicated than that. We talk about rest in the context of the spirit, the soul, the body. And what I love about this conversation is I want you to just really grasp in something so simple and practical as watching how people sit, how you sit, how your children sit. If something always has to be crossed, you'll know that likelihood they're sleeping in one of these compromised fields. Yeah. And you want to just yeah. get two hangers, stretch them out, bend them like long L's, and just walk across the room. Yeah, one thing about that, though, uh, what I've learned over the years is that a person that's sleeping on a geopathic field will become a very poor geopathic antenna. So oh, okay. So you need to find somebody that's not been sleeping on a geopathic field to use the rods to find the geopathic field. That's really good. So we become an antenna and attract that toxic field of energy, or it compromises our senses well, to detect. Well, the yeah, yeah your, your, your magnetic field in your body is so messed up from sleeping eight hours a night on a geopathic field that your body cannot detect a, a, a geomagnetic field. But if you're not sleeping on a geopathic field, then you'll be able to detect a geopathic field when you walk across a room with, with uh, coat hangers.
Okay, so good, so good, so rich. So Melissa, thanks to you, we're having this great conversation, getting really specific. Cancer has a story. Dr. Cowden, can you name the emotion? And I want everybody to remember that emotions are a function of the limbic system. They're a function of the brain. And emotions are how we react. But at the root cause of every reactivity, every emotional reactivity, there's a deep root in the soul. There's a soul root. It's a feeling, happy, sad, confused, abandoned, any number of feelings that you can associate. And what people emote is rarely what they feel. It's only a glimpse of what's at the root of what they're in fact feeling. Can you talk about the emotional reactivities in our lives that we would otherwise miss that we know are at the root of cancer? Could you address a few of those for me? For example, breast cancer, we've always said, unrest in the nest. Can you start with that and colon and prostate and so forth? There's two types of breast cancer as far as the emotions go. There's the emotion of the nest that you just mentioned, which is associated more with adenocarcinoma of the breast. And then there's also the emotion of feeling that someone dear to you has been figuratively ripped from your breast, which is more related to intraductal carcinoma, which is the most common type of breast cancer. The best way to define the terms is actually to give an example. So let's say that a mom is minding her own business, or she thinks she is, and the Child Protective Services comes knocking on her door and tells her a lie that's been given to them by, by a neighbor, a jealous neighbor, and, and they have to act upon the lie, so they take her child away. So that woman can develop a cancer in her breast, an introductal carcinoma, because her, someone dear to her has been ripped from her breast. That's, that's very literal. <laughs> now, if a, a husband wanders away from the marriage and becomes unfaithful, has an affair, then he has figuratively been ripped from her breast. Now, it depends on whether she's right-handed or left-handed, which breast that'll show up in. Typically, the, the children show up in the left breast of a right-handed woman or in the right breast of a left-handed woman. Okay, But all other people in your life show up on the other breast. So all you have to remember is women hold their baby, if they're right-handed, they hold their baby with their left arm uh, and feed the baby with their left breast more so than the right breast because they need the right hand to do the things that they usually do with their right hand, okay? So the left breast is your, le- is your children and, or anybody that you consider like a child, somebody that you've taken under your wing at your work. You know, you're, they're, they're younger than you are. Uh, you're kind of their mentor. And so they're like your, your child. And that's the intracarcinoma. Intraductal carcinoma. Mm-hmm. Now, disturbance of the nest can be, can be the, the, the husband wandering away. <laughs> uh, can show up as that adenocarcinoma, but can also show up as intraductal carcinoma. Okay, so, so that figuratively, that other woman in that uh, in that relation in that triad relationship has ripped the husband away from the the wife's breast. Okay. How about another kind of cancer? There's breast cancer, 
And that's a place to try to resolve that emotional conflict and yep. complexities of what's associated with that. And by the way, I just want to interject that we have, if you go to on-demand classes in our website, you can do a day of rest that starts kind of laying the foundation for this. It's an introduction for rest. And we touch on these things. If you do module one, which you can do that on demand, and I meet with you every other week, we've broken all this down in Dr. Cowden and I have broken these discussions down into six weeks and we get into the anatomy of all of this in module one. So there is, we don't want to just introduce these things and then leave you hanging there. We want you to know that we've posted things on the website for you to process and reason through. Yeah. So, so we talked about a, 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 the most common cancer for women, which is breast cancer. And by the way, if you're going to try to determine whether you have breast cancer, don't do a mammogram. Do a thermogram instead. Thermography has a false negative, false positive combination of only about 3%. So it's wrong only 3% of the time, whereas mammography is wrong almost 50% of the time. So in, in mammography, it exposes you to radiation and, and a lot of painful press, pressing of the breast. And you can avoid all that with thermography. So... Yeah. Okay, next common cancer among men. Yeah, the most common cancer among men is, is prostate cancer. Now, prostate cancer statistically is going to be in, uh, in almost 50% of the men that are 50 years old. It'll be what we call prostate cancer in situ, so it hasn't spread out of the prostate. And it'll be in about 80% of the men that are 80 years old. And if you make it to 100, you probably have prostate cancer. Yeah, uh, so, 100%. <laughs> yeah. But typically, men die from prostate cancer only if they get a prostate biopsy. If they don't get a biopsy, they die with it, but not from it. If they do get a biopsy, they die from the cancer, from cancer spread to the bones usually, which is extremely painful death. What's the recovery rate once a man's prostate has been punctured and the cancer has metastasized in the bones, for example? You can still recover from that, but uh, but you, you reduce your odds. So it's better not to get the biopsy to start with. And most urologists think that they've got to biopsy everything. That's just what they're taught. But, you know, there's a study published in the peer-reviewed literature about 30 years ago that showed that biopsies spread cancer. So why are we still doing biopsies of the breast or the prostate or anything else? Do you have the name of that study? I'm sure there's been multiple studies on that particular subject, but is there a particular name of that study that comes to mind? It's been too many years. I had it in my computer before my uh, computer uh, burned to the ground with my house back in 2010, but then uh, I, I don't think I went back and tried to you know, re find that study, but you know, yeah. it can be. It but can they be can found. find it, yeah. On with Google now, we can find everything. Any kind other kind of cancer you'd like to address? Well, yeah, yeah. So the so the emotion of the prostate cancer oh. is is significant concern about the progeny or somebody that you consider like your progeny. Okay, so that progeny would be your children, your grandchildren, your great grandchildren. So if you have a serious concern about one of those people that fits that category, and even if it's a non-relative that you consider like a child or a grandchild, then you can still develop prostate cancer as a result of that. Now, again, the emotional conflict is not the only cause of the cancer. 
the emotional conflict is the trigger for the cancer. The cancer probably would not have triggered if you didn't have a prostate full of mercury and pesticides and herbicides and all kinds of other junk, okay? So it takes the combination of the toxic load and the emotional trigger. Cleanses four times a year are highly recommended. Infrared sauna every week is highly recommended. <laughs> oh, infrared, yeah. Infrared sauna every week to get the toxins out. Yeah. Now, a lot of people that develop cancer of some other part of the body develop lung cancer. And Dr. Hammer figured out that lung cancer develops because of fear of death. You go to your doctor. The doctor says, you have cancer. Send you to the oncologist. The oncologist confirms the diagnosis. And the fear starts you know, becoming uh, rampant throughout your mind, throughout your body. And the fear actually triggers the development of tumors in the lungs. Uh, even though it didn't start there. It start, might have started in the breast, might have started in the prostate, might have started in the colon, might have started in the liver, might have started in the pancreas, might have started somewhere else. But fear of death causes uh, a development of cancer in the lung. Now, it doesn't have to be fear of death of self. It can be fear of death of self, a loved one, or a relationship. Or a relationship. So let's say that you're having a real rocky time with your spouse. And you're fearful that because the, the situation is so rough, so rocky, that, that the marriage is going to end. And so you can develop a cancer in your lung because you had a fear of death of the, of the marriage relationship. So good. So good. Look what you did, Melissa. You got us talking about one of our favorite subjects because there's so much we can do. I think I want to just leave everyone with this notion, and Dr. Kellen, you'd love to say this, cancer is not a death sentence. We've gone over more than a little bit longer than we'd like to go, but this conversation is so important, and this is the last of a brief conversation on cancer to finish off October, even though we're going a little bit into November. But I was wondering if you would share that you healed you, your wife, and your dog from cancer. So can you finish us off briefly with that story? Because it is a, a story of hope. And then I have some closing thoughts for Melissa. Yeah, well, the first uh, cancer that came into our family was uh, pancreatic cancer in my wife. And, and I would not have known that she had pancreatic cancer, except that we had a new addition to our family. A, a black Labrador. And this female black Labrador loved my wife and she was always playful and running around and wanting to play with my wife. But I noticed the dog's behavior changed. She, 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 every time my wife was standing at the kitchen sink, the, the dog was sitting on my, my wife's right foot. Whenever my wife was sitting in a chair, she was sitting on her right foot. And I said, that's very odd behavior. And then the dog started looking mangy, looking, looking ill, losing weight. I thought, what the heck is going on with this dog? So I checked the dog, and the dog had pancreatic cancer by energetic testing. And I thought, two-year-old dog with pancreatic cancer? That's really unusual. So it made me think, I, I need to check my wife. So I checked my wife, and she had pancreatic cancer. And the ultrasound confirmed that she had pancreatic cancer. So we put my wife on a regimen to get rid of the pancreatic cancer, proteolytic enzymes 30 minutes before food with water only, higher, higher doses of oral vitamin C, a variety of herbs, some other nutrients, and did some emotional conflict resolution related to sadness. 
and the cancer went away. And and I knew that the cancer went away because the dog started looking fine again. <laughs> but we, we confirmed that the cancer was gone with another ultrasound. And so that was the first, that was in 1989. And then in 1994, my wife developed breast cancer and treated that with you know natural therapies, uh, emotional conflict resolution. I developed prostate cancer and colon cancer that year. And we developed, you know, treated those with natural therapies, emotional conflict resolution. Uh, some dental work. Dental, we didn't talk about dental work today, but dental work is, was huge in my cancers, the cancers that I had. And so, you know, we need to continually be mindful of the different co- contributors to cancer and not just let them cause cancer, but but deal with them before they cause cancer, you know, be preventive. So to that end, this book. Cancer-free. Are you sure? Jenny Herbacek, RN. Herbacek. Yes. He's a friend of mine from Houston, Texas, RN. And uh, this is an excellent book, but it tells you how to how to look for cancer early and prevent it from ever becoming a big lump or bump that, that requires more aggressive treatment. And I'm going to have an amazing podcast with Dr. Wang, who's a genius. And I got to know him a little bit as a result of the work that REST is doing in Peru and in supporting the research of Dr. Liu and Helping Hands in Peru, Dr. Liu invited REST to collaborate. He says, allopathic medicine brings many things to the table, but addressing the emotional, spiritual, and just the soul function, the psychology of diseases, they don't do a very good job addressing how to reconcile that in order to facilitate healing. So as a result, I've been asked to join the team, and it's an honor to do so. In the process, I met Dr. Wang, who's got some amazing resources and technology that haven't completely yet hit to mainstream to detect 10, 12 years before these various cancers hit for early detection. So if you'll all forgive me, as soon as I can arrange a conversation with these very, very busy men, one, Dr. Cowden, who has his beginnings were in allopathic medicine and then went functional medicine, finding the root cause to these amazing biochemist geniuses that have developed these early detection resources and techniques. It's going to be an amazing conversation. Hopefully we'll be able to have Dr. Liu, who's currently conducting a significant research study on HPV as director of women's health for Kaiser Permanente. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. It's these people in different fields coming together with the knowledge that we're better together than apart. So I'm so thankful to facilitate that discussion. So I want everybody listening to know that that's coming. And Melissa, just as a thank you to you and your family and your sister, I'd like you to send personal contact information so I can call her or you directly or you and her directly and get to the bottom of this. There's a few other calls like that I have to make today, but thank you from the bottom of my heart, Dr. Cowden, always. Yeah, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. I don't know a single person. I've said this multiple times publicly and regularly privately, but I don't know a single person that has poured more into this rest conversation 
that has a brilliant mind, a beautiful heart, and an incredible amount of integrity that is fearless in discussing the truth of healing like you do. So I want to thank you so much. Well, thank you. God bless you. God bless you too. For updates about rest and this podcast, please visit our Instagram or Facebook, The Place of Rest. If you would like more information about Virginia or to support and join the cause of rest, please go to virginiadixon.com forward slash collaborate or call 949-289-5935. Thank you for listening to Rest with Virginia Dixon. We'll see you next week. <laughs>